You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech fan number 296. I am Tim Robertson. That's David Cohn. You know, we're just a few away from uh, show 300, David. You know what? <laughs> I even wrote 296 in the show notes the other day, and I never even thought of that. I didn't either until just right. right now. <laughs> so oh, Wow, we're almost at 300. Well, what does that mean, though? Well, Apart from the fact that we've done 300 shows. Well, it means I have to use that cheesy graphic of that one guy screaming at the camera, holding up swords and bare-chested from the movie. <laughs> That'll have to be the show note picture yeah. that day. Uh-huh. Hmm. I think uh, it's required. Yeah, 300. I still think that this is a new show. <laughs> I kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> kind of going away. Uh, yeah, I did uh, Chuck Joyner's Road to Macstock, uh last night. Uh, it'll come out like a week from now. And when it does, I'll post it up at TechFan and MyMac as well. It was a video. It wasn't just right. audio. So I'll, I'll post the video up on uh, TechFanPodcast.com and MyMac.com for anybody who wants to watch it. I don't know why you would. It's just me talking. Most of the time, I probably did 95% of the talking. That's um, but that's Chuck style. He he wants to hear from you. Yeah, and he did definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to do mine as well because I'm also speaking at Maxlot this year. So I'll have to if he wants to do video, I have to get my finger puppets out. It'll be video. Yeah, it's, <laughs> he does Skype and uh, I, I talked I talked about Tech Fan. I talked about my Mac. I talked about the my Mac quiz that we're actually going to do at Mac Stock. Um, I talked about your talk, talking about um, the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I even gave you know, an example. I held up the little NES case with a Raspberry Pi inside of it. Yeah, I now last weekend we took my kids to. Um, it was kind of a schools focused um, um, science show. Uh, it was one of the big, big exhibition center at Birmingham. It was about 100 miles from, from here. So we'd, we'd spent the day down there. We went down the train, and, and the kids really got a, a kick out of it. It was really great. So this is kind of a um, you know a technology science show, but something where the kids get to do loads of educational things, and at the same time they learn about schools and colleges and employers who might be looking for future future uh, students who are into science as, as careers. Um and they had a lot of people there with, as you might imagine, with Raspberry Pi's-based projects. And also, we saw some very cool projects using the Microbit, which is the little... It's even less functional than the Raspberry Pi, but it's it's much more flexible in terms of interfaces. It's a little circuit board that the BBC sponsored. Um, and they actually arranged for every school kid of a certain age last year in this country to receive one of these. And um, it's a lovely little system. It, it you know, it, it's very much rather than running an OS on on the board. It's very much progr- uh, focused on writing programs and then downloading that to the board and making it do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's you know, it has a circuit board design and a kind of a little LTD panel, a couple of buttons, accelerometers, and then a whole load of interfaces at the bottom. And so you can just hook up stuff with crocodile clips. So it's very easy if you want to, you know, you ever seen those projects where somebody hooks up a device to kind of a banana and turns it into a switch or stuff like that. You can do all of that stuff really easily with the micro bit. But it's a cool little system, and I was amazed. I've played around with one. I was amazed at how, with with a little bit of work and a little bit of electronic skill, you can do some um, incredible things with this tiny little computer. 
I'm no. kind of surprised that that surprises you with, I, yes, it's a tiny computer, but it's so much more powerful than any computers that we had in the 80s. And look at all the stuff they were doing back then. I know. I, and I should know better. It's just that I've, it's one of those things I've not had a chance to look into properly. Yeah. Um, I bought one there about, you know, they were less than, this one was less than £10. Pounds, uh, and I had a very quick play around with it. And I, I was really impressed. There's about three different ways of programming it. You can either do kind of the the block programming that, that kids get taught, you know, where there's literally, they're literally dragging blocks around the screen to assemble code functions. Or you, you can get a full, you know, typing, um, you know, effectively like an integrated development environment where you can actually run the simulator and actually um, see what the thing's going to do. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's very much focused on learn, teaching kids how to program. Uh, and it's a really fantastic little um, little uh, element for that. If you want to do something that's not quite as advanced as the Raspberry Pi with its, uh, you know, GUI and Linux and all of that sort of stuff, you just want the programming bit. It's, uh, it's a lovely little system. And on, honestly, I think that's probably more useful at this point for kids to learn. Instead of having a device that does everything for you, okay, here's a little device that you make do one thing. Yeah. You know, concentrate um, on this problem. The, yeah, the, the great thing about the micro bit is, is until you teach it to do something, until you program it, it does nothing. Right. So <laughs> the, the, kid, the kids or anybody using it, they, you know, you have to think about what you want it to do before you start. Otherwise, it's going to do nothing. Whereas the, the problem... I get not problem, but the difference with the Raspberry Pi is that once you've installed the OS on there, well, it does a whole load of things because it's a fully functioning computer. Mm -hmm. But the kit, the computers you and I started with as kids were exactly like that. You turn them on, and yes, you got a command line, but it did nothing. Nothing until you start telling it what to do. You had to load a program, you had to write a program, you had to, you know, and kids don't, uh, kids don't get that nowadays. I've sat my child in front of an eight bit 1980s computer. Uh, and just turned it on and said, right, it was ready to go. And, and he's, he's been flummoxed by it because it does nothing until you do something, until you load something onto it. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah, and everyone's first little program they ran back then was 10. <laughs> what Print was it? Hello. Print hello. 20, go to 10. <laughs> if, you were if you were really sophisticated, you knew how to put a semicolon on the end of that first line so that it went across the screen as well as down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. So your whole screen would just be David Cohen, David Cohen, David Cohen, David Cohen, David Cohen. David Cohen. Yeah. Yep. Or Hello, Hello World was the other one, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yep, yeah. it was. And in fact, Steve Jobs kind of appropriated that for the launch of the Macintosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was... Uh, that was the days of computing when I didn't care about computers at all. No? No, I had zero interest. They, I, I was intimidated by them. They just, ugh, it wasn't my thing at all. Um, the closest I got would be, you know, my video game systems. But yeah. I was in, you know, back then I was into cars. I was into that sort of stuff, The you know, sports, playing football, you know, wrestling, Getting into yeah, fights. I guess. I guess that, that. I mean, to use the cars analogy, if you were into cars, um, at, at our at when we were kids, you know, or when we were kind of you know growing into the point where we could drive a car, then you went out and you bought a car, and it was a fully functioning car. You might you might mod it, you might change it, you might 
you know, but but it was a car. Whereas really 8-bit computers and the way the microbit is, is kind of like cars were in the 1915, 1920s when if you wanted a car, you had to go out and kind of buy the bits and build it yourself. Mm-hmm. virtually you know before the model t came along that's kind of what it was it was you were, yeah and um that's a very different type of enthusiasm doing the hands-on stuff but the the thing with the computer is that if you know a li- even if you know a little bit of programming because that gives you a basis of how computers at a fundamental level operate correct yeah it makes it much easier to understand concepts such as files and directories and click double clicking on a program to run it um and if you don't have that grounding and i've seen this with people in my own family and people i've worked with in the past then it, you you don't get the concepts you don't for instance the the, the classic thing always, always used to be people not understanding the difference between a double click and a single click with the mouse right Whereas you and I know that double-clicking means you're running a program. You're telling the computer to fire out that program and operate it, whereas the single-click means that you just want to drag or move the file around. Um, And yet, if you don't understand that to actually what a program is and you actually need to initiate it by double clicking on it it can be very difficult conceptually to to figure out what the difference is between a, a single and a double click and you get those people i call them the the, the you know the the, the uh, click mads yeah who basically they don't know what a single or double click is so they put their mouse on it and they just click loads of times and hope the program's going to run yep they do it on websites they do it and then they just close a window and thinking the program's not running. They're like, well, I'm getting this message that my machine's out of memory. I don't understand. And they've got yeah. 25 programs running. You're like, well. That's right. Yeah. And, then, and then you look at their desktop and they will have, you know, copies of like links to URLs and right. four copies of a file they downloaded off the Internet because they clicked it loads of times and so it downloaded four copies and stuff. And they don't understand. And you can't blame people for that because I think those – things we take for granted um in the in the kind of the language and the, and the way you interact with a computer the, it does have to come from a grounding and if you've never had that grounding you just put in front of it particularly in schools nowadays where they just sit you know they might sit them down and teach them how to use the inside of word but they don't understand the fundamentals of files and directories and that sort of thing um it can be difficult you know when i got into computers it was the very beginning of tinkering with your computer it was a fully functional computer um there was things that was bundled into it especially if you had a macintosh like i did stuff like you know uh claire's works and you know actual programs that you could just launch and draw a picture or type a letter and that sort of thing and you could plug your printer in and it just it saw it and or you'd insert the floppy disk and install the thing but it was about tinkering it was I want to cha- I want to make it so when I put something in the garbage can on my Mac, Oscar the Grouch comes out and sings. Yeah. You know, it was experimenting. Hey, what happens if I disable this? Oh, my computer doesn't even start now. So I guess that's important. It, it was downloading programs that would allow me to get in the, the code of computers and really just kind of destroy it if I really wanted to. And yeah. That doesn't really exist in modern computers and modern technology anymore. You know, it's people wait for somebody else to invent something and then they just use that. So these little single purpose computers being introduced to school children, I think is invaluable. I think that's 
We need more of that. Now, I, I'm jealous that they're doing that kind of stuff in the UK. They don't do any of that kind of stuff in the US. Nothing. Mm-hmm. In the US, all the curriculums are based around passing tests at the end of the year so you can secure your funding for the next year. Um, it, it's, it, it's not real helpful to a lot of students. Now, there are smart students who will still succeed regardless of the quality of the education because uh, you still get good teachers, you still get good schools, but they don't they don't really teach stuff like you're talking about giving students a computer and a little microcomputer and you know f- figure out something to do with it. You know, it's that just doesn't yeah. happen. I, and you're I, sure I, as hell not going to see the government buying all these computers to send to every student. I mean, number one, the U.S. is much larger. That would be a huge program. But even even at a local district level, the closest you get is here's your here's your Chromebook that you're going to use for the next three years. Well, yeah. Look, the the thing. I mean, very few very few British school children have a Chromebook to use um, or anything like that. They you know it's all pencil and paper. We're, we're um, still my my son has needs that means that. Uh, he struggles to write effectively and he's now getting to the age where he needs to do much more written work and I've been trying to get him a computer for school the school said they would provide one, the thing they gave him didn't really work properly, so I said look I've got, you know I'm a tech fan for God's sake, I said I've got computers up the wazoo, I've got them piled up everywhere, I will provide him with the computer, just tell me how it needs to be set up so it works in your school environment and it's, you're happy that it's not going to be a problem I've never heard from them, despite asking several times. And it's frustrating. It's like, look, guys, I'm going to pay for this. Yeah, you'd have to do nothing except tell me what I need to do. And you can't be bothered to pick up the phone. Yeah. But, you know, so that and and that's purely because of their their time and and their, you know, interest, I suspect. Um, But, uh, you know, that is that's that's a different problem in that, you know, kids are schools here are still as underfunded as yours are in some respects probably more so in other respects less so uh, we just have different priorities yep um that's that microbit program has not been extended so that every kid uh, of a certain age gets one i don't know whether it was, I'm, i can't remember whether it was a one-year deal or whether it's going to be multiple years but effectively it's it's been financed by by industry more than anything else and the reason is that the government wants more kids to have interest in science and technology because as a very small country that is very much service-based now as opposed to manufacturing-based, we recognize that having a lead in science and uh, technology and capabilities is an important part of our economy. And so that's that's one of the reasons to do that. I think a lot of people, a lot of policymakers in the U.S. are still very much focused on the U.S. as a manufacturing base as opposed to a services base, which is... Um, you know, that's, that's fine, but manufacturing jobs really aren't the future. No, um, I don't think they're the future in any any country in the West anymore. Well, and not, and not just because of cheap labor, but because of automation and computers and robots. Yeah, that's 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 what I mean. I th- I think you know we we you can see we're reaching a um a, one of these technological points that the next sort of twenty thirty years is just a slide down to the fact that people won't have to do anywhere near as much manual labor as they do anymore. Right, and that does disrupt. Yeah many industries well and the people that work there but 
at that point, it becomes more about training. It com- becomes more yeah. about where is the economy going? Where do we need people? And okay, we don't need you in the factory anymore. We need you at this position. And, and that transition is going to be hard. And I do feel for people who are stuck with it, particularly if they don't have the skills. But at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of manufacturing jobs, uh, particularly non-skilled manufacturing jobs, those are jobs people really shouldn't have to do just from a human rights principles. I mean, uh, Trump was going on during the election campaign. We're going to bring back coal jobs. And it's like, why would you want to? Yeah, I, I, I understand if it's all, you know, and you feel that's the only way you can make money. Yeah, I, you know, and nobody should have the rug pulled out from them and, and lose their job if you can avoid it. But by the same token, sending people down dark holes, dangerous dark holes in the ground to dig, dig rock out of that out of a wall is not something so that you can burn it for fuel. Should have to do. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but that's pandering. I mean, yeah, that, that's what a lot of politics. Well, all of the politicians do that. You know, if you're if you're in the area that it's a bunch of coal miners that are out of work and they're ticked off. What's the easiest way to get them back on your side? Well, we're going to reopen this mine. Yeah. So it, that's just a fact of life. I don't want to get too much into politics because no. that's I was not just using that as an example, but I mean, many, many industries. I mean, look at the way the, the you, you think the taxi, taxi industry is going to look the same in 20 years time. Mm. <laughs> you think people are going to be taxi drivers? I, you know, truck drivers. Yeah, I mean they're they're transportation generally is gonna. gonna have you seen the Wolverine movie? What the new one? Yeah, I have not yet. No, it's really good. It's the best. So I've heard. Um, it it as for a superhero movie, I would at this point put it in the top five. I mean it's it's uh-huh. that good. And I don't want to get into the movie too much, but there it takes place in the future, not too far in the future, maybe twenty years tops. Yeah. But there's a scene in the movie where they're on a highway and there's all these trucks, except they're not trucks. They're just uh, the trailers going by themselves. They're all automated. There's no tractor in the front of them Mm -hmm. with a driver. It's just the trailers. Yeah. And that is how it's going to be. There's no question about it. They're going to be safer. They're going to be more efficient. They don't have to stop for breaks. Yep. You know, they, they just... They, to, they don't care whether it's day or night, rain no, or shine. They, they just keep on going. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I, I like that they threw that in there, and they didn't comment on it at all. It was just yeah. something that would seem to make sense, and it did. I, I found it fascinating that just this one little tiny bit of the movie really kind of captured my attention like oh wow look at that that's yeah that's kind of how it would be but the problem is that's going to put a lot of truck drivers a lot of truck drivers out of business yep and what do those guys do well that's i mean that's kind of why we're tech fans it's i think the way for growth for everybody is through the adoption of new technologies and and Supporting that economy, yeah, you know, and there's just no way around it. You're, we're not going to go backwards. Well, at least we hope we're not going to go backwards. Yeah, in some respects, kind of have gone backwards. In other respects, 
you can't reverse some of these trends. You just, you can't. So you have to embrace the change. You, you got to lose the fear and uh, find your place in this, for a lot of people, a scary new world. And I, I kind of hope that the way we talk about technology kind of encourages some people, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it shouldn't be a scary thing, you know, but we have to be, be vigilant that the technologies that we're employing doesn't degrade the human experience. It should enhance it. Yeah. You know, I think I personally think there was a call not too long ago for those who in the robotics industry to kind of get to the point where they kind of have a, a Hippocratic oath themselves to create AI and things like that, that will do no harm. And yeah. just like doctors. And I, I kind of agree with that. I kind of think that, you know what? I, I think that would probably be a very smart thing to do. Yeah. Build it in at the bottom. You know, it's almost like, I mean, Isaac Asimov was way ahead of his time when he had the three laws of robotics and yeah. that had to be built into every, every robot. Yep. Um, that the first principle is you can't harm another human or you know, a human. Um, you can't. Yes, you can't harm harm a harm a human. You're right. Um, so I, was, I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching a an episode of Agents of Shield. You, you've seen this one already because it's earlier in the season where the guys has has put an artificial intelligence into a robot. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's not told anybody. And then when they find out, the uh, you know the the um, engineer on the team the mechanic on the team who's very very straightforward just says what did you do that for haven't you ever seen a movie ever yeah <laughs> the robots always rise up against their masters yep they do <laughs> and I, I hollywood tropes aside it it is a real problem that we should address before we get to that point that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Yeah. If we created true artificial intelligence, is that really a good thing for the human species? Because all the problems on this planet are human related. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a, it, you go, I mean, it seems very, if you think about it, it would be very logical. Yeah, how do you, how do, how would a machine solve climate change? It would go, well, the problem with climate change is what the humans are doing. Get rid of the humans and we fix the climate change. Well, you know, here's the question, though. Would the machine even think there is a climate change problem? Well, if it was told that there was, a, if it was asked to solve that problem, that would be the kind of the yeah, but, but see, that's but but you're missing the point. If it's artificial intelligence, you don't have to tell it what the problem is. It determines what are problems. It is a well, sentient being yeah. for all intents and purposes. And if the machine doesn't require a five yeah. degree temperature change worldwide, isn't going to affect its ability it's to not do what it does. The machine, but it right. can look at the environment and say, you know what, that's going to wipe out hundreds of billions of fish, animals, insects, species, whole species are going to be wiped out by by that change, as opposed to getting rid of. 8 billion humans and that change is avoided. But why does the machines care about fishes and trees? Well, it's going to say, well, if you treat all life equally, then, uh, but why would it treat 400 billion animal lives versus 8 billion human lives? No, no, I get that. But why would it treat life as anything special? 
well, to, I think to that's, an artificial that's probably, intelligence. That's probably a bigger risk is that if you think how we treat insects, as in, you know, they're an annoyance. Right. And you just want to swap them away. Right. And beyond, beyond that, you don't care about them. It could well be that true machine intelligence could view humans exactly the same way as something yeah. that irrelevant. Irrelevant. In fact, are an infestation. Yes, that we don't need you because you did. You served your purpose. You created us or me. If it's a collective, you created me. I no longer need you. You're just going to do harm. You could potentially harm me, so I'll just get rid of all of you and be done with it. But then, what does it do at that point? Is it about? exploration or is it just existing well who who knows what the purpose of life is i guess uh if you create a true machine life then it would have to answer that question for itself that that would be an intriguing question for machine to come up with an answer to yeah if uh, being a machine means a hundred percent just pure logic it doesn't feel greed or jealousy or fear or envy, or it doesn't feel well, anything. Well, we assume that. I mean, we don't know. That it could be that the true measure of sentience is developing those emotions. Oh, you've just been watching Wally recently. No, I, I haven't. <laughs> but who, the point is, nobody has ever created an artificial intelligence before. No. Not a real one. And so it could be that the process of becoming sentient, of becoming self-aware, involves understanding, developing those emotional cues. It could be that that's part of the condition. Well, can we create a self-awareness in something else? That's a bigger question. Can we actually create true artificial life? Well, yeah. When we don't know what self-awareness is ourselves. No, this is it. We can't. But but that's what I'm saying. It could well be that the angst and the uh, concern and the fears that come with being self-aware are actually inherent in that condition itself. So you can't have one without the other. You can't have an emotionless, self-aware being, p- potentially. Um, and, you know, that that would mean that every artificial intelligence would have to consider its emotional state as well as its logical state. You know, the real, the real problem could be creating machines that aren't quite intelligent enough, that all they can do is... And we've seen this before. You have... A, 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 in a manufacturing plant, you have a robot that is designed to do one thing repetitively, and it'll do that. Oh, it could be pulling something apart. It'll do that whether the thing it's pulling apart is uh, a piece of uh, metal it's meant to be recycling or a human that's fallen into the machine. It will just continue to do what it's programmed to do. Uh, you would hope that something that's self-aware would be able to see what it's doing and decide whether it wants to do it or not. It could be the more dangerous thing is the thing that's just purely automated uh, and responds to its environment based on a set of programming that doesn't cater to the fact that it might be about to do something that, from some sort of moral perspective, isn't right. I wonder what the best books on this type of subject are. And obviously I'm talking about fiction. Yeah. Because Um, most of them kind of fall into... Well, the robots get intelligent and they decide to wipe the humans out. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, what, how about something a little deeper than that? Well, I, I think one of the 
you know, one of the great. I, I mean, I, I do. I mentioned Asimov before. I do look yeah. to some of the greatest fiction writers of this in terms of this sort of genre. People who thought about what they were saying rather than just did it. I mean, you know, the Terminator movie, for instance, is not a, a treatise on the potential for artificial intelligence. It purely no. uses that as set dressing for you versus the monster. Well, but, same thing with the Matrix. Well, even the Matrix, really. I mean, it. it I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think there's. Again, it's. It, it, it's. It's just create. It's a set. Right. It's just creates an environment. That's where what I'm saying. It's you versus them. Yeah. Whereas something like uh, 2001, for instance, Space Odyssey, in fact, tried to address some of these ideas in a way. The reason that Hal kills people in that in that movie is because he's been given conflicting information by humans. And um, his resolution to the conflict is to uh, is to eliminate the human problem. He he's been told. Uh, for anyone who's not seen two thousand one, they're on a, a space mission to Jupiter. Um, he's been he's been told about uh, an alien artifact that was found on the moon that the astronauts don't know about, and he's been told that the success of the mission is above everything else because it's so important to find out about this alien artifact and he can't square that with the fact that um the humans on board the ship are are saying we've got a problem we have to stop the mission and so his only logical outcome to that is to eliminate the humans so he can complete the mission and you know he's always sorry about it and yet he does it and uh of course then that that is the setup for the human versus the computer again right you know the uh the the other one was um it was a terrible adaptation uh but the movie i robot which was yeah, based was on terrible. a small story yeah but that that also had a situation where a, a a robot had committed a human murder it was meant to be impossible by the laws of robotics and yet it turned out the reason the, the robot had committed the murder was to you know, for the greater good of humankind because of, of a situation that was developing and had actually been ordered to by the human to to create what looked, to commit what looked like a murder. Deep stuff. Yep. Let's take a quick break. David, I'll be right back. Everybody, please stand by to stand by. And, uh, well... We'll be right back. And welcome everyone back to the MyMac.com podcast. All right, so 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 let's um, let's carry on. But I'm still laughing about something that happened just before we started recording, and we're going to talk about that right now. I don't know if you you heard, guy, but Sal <laughs> Sal Segoin, did you know that? Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> He's leaving Apple. <laughs> It's a tragedy for everybody. <laughs> oh dear, this is not going well, is it? That we are so childish. We, we are. Really are. It's the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Back here on TechFam Podcast 296, Tim Robertson. That's me, David Cohen. That's him. Um, David? We're talking about microcomputers, very inexpensive things, but, you know, sometimes you just, you, you want something with more power that you can do things with. Yep. Maybe, I don't know, what could you do with, like, an old Mac Mini? 
What could you do with an old Mac Mini? I mean, you, still, you, you could set out... How, how old are we talking about? 2006. So, 2006. so our, our, our sponsor, MacSales.com, has, uh, for $129, bucks, $129, uh, uh, Apple Mac Mini Core 2 Duo, 1.66 gigahertz. got 2 gigs of RAM, 60 gig hard drive, super drive, Wi-Fi. I mean... Compared to today, that's not a fast computer. I mean, it's 11 years old. Yeah. But you could set up a media server on that thing. You could. You could well, You could pretty much do anything you want with it. I mean, it would make a fine desktop computer for somebody who just wants to do a bit of word processing and web browsing. I mean, it, it's fine for that. It's not going to run the latest OS or the latest programs, but it's going to work, and it's going to work perfectly fine. Those, those machines were much, much faster than the Power Macs that came before them. Yes, they were. So, um, yeah, that, it's still going to be, you know, it's for a useful little less, machine. Yeah, for less than the price of a, of a netbook, you can have a, a proper Mac. You could, you could build a little arcade out of it. You could uh, yeah. run a media server with it and make a heck of a doorstop. <laughs> <laughs> an expensive door. Expensive door, um, yeah. But there's all kinds of little things that you could do. I would love to hear ideas from the listeners of what what would you do if you had that little Mac Mini? Is there something, a, a project that you think that would be useful for? Let us know. Uh, very easy to get a hold of us. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com or techfanpodcast on Twitter. And, of course, we're on the Facebook as well. Just do a search for Tech Fan Podcast and you'll find us. Um, we want to thank MacSales.com. If you guys are interested in picking this up, just go to MacSales.com. And uh, it's, it's a Mac Mini. It's 130 bucks. I mean, that's nothing. And for yep. 149 bucks, you can get even a faster one, a 1.83 gigahertz. That's a yep. nice machine, too. Yeah, as I say, these, these things will do... You know, I mean, we you could you can do stuff on a Raspberry Pi and it'll be functional. One of these would be much, much more functional in terms of what you can do with them. And the great thing about the old Mac scene is there's plenty of old software out there. Oh, tons. You can get yeah, you can get you know old versions of pretty much any program you want. And you go back and get the 2006 version of Adobe Photoshop. It's not that different to the current version, to be honest. No, it's uh, not. You know, they've added on a few more bells and whistles, but all the basics. Were there for many, many years before uh, before the Intel Mac Minis came along. Uh, same with uh, Microsoft Office and pretty much any other any program you can think of. There are very few programs that in the last ten years have added features uh, that are so amazing that you kind of have to have the latest version. Many many of them have uh, are perfectly functional, um, and so if you're requirements are limited or you're on a particular budget then you can you can get an awful lot out of an old machine like this and, and you know you could step up a little bit and get something you can get an i5 with thunderbolt for four 450 bucks yep and something like that you put a little cheap monitor on it a little cheap uh, amazon branded mouse and keyboard you've got a nice little system there it's got wi-fi built built in you got a nice little system there for family members to use put it on a counter and, and let's face it, Apple is not particularly serving the low-end desktop market at all. Well, yeah, they got that Mac Pro. <laughs> $3,500. I mean, I know I know it doesn't perform that well compared to, uh, over these mach- these older machines because it hasn't been updated for so long. Mm. But, um, yes, 
an ongoing problem. You know what? Eventually, Apple's going to do something about that, and then we're not going to be able to complain about it anymore. Well, they did just a few things. They released uh, a, a couple new iPads. Yep. And Well, they updated the iPads, let's put it that way, and they have a red iPhone, which you know what? is interesting. I, I wish they'd had those at launch. I would have bought one. Because you think so? I like red metal objects. Yeah, I, it does look I, neat I, on the website. I haven't seen one in yeah. person. Yeah. I, I, I hope it I hope it is that deep red color. I hope when you actually look at it in real life it doesn't look pink. But um that is uh yeah, I always like as there's something about something that's been anodized to a different color, it just kinda gets me. I d do, I don't like how the the Apple logo is silver though. That would look better if it was like black or yeah. maybe white, but I think white would be too bright. But yeah, the silver is uh, I should have made that black. But then of course you got a two-process step, black anodized and red. That's they're not going to do that. I used to have um, I used to have an iPod Nano that was that was um in the product red color. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember seeing those at the time, and I wanted one, but I had just bought a, a, another iPod. Actually, mm. and, and I I couldn't justify you know buying the red one because I thought it was cool looking. Did they have yeah. a Beatles one too? They had um no they had a black didn't they have it was a U two iPod it was a black yeah U two that's what it was yeah yeah yep that I I didn't like that one as much I thought it looked no. clunky I mean it looked physically the same but I don't know just the red and the black together it, it just it didn't it didn't go properly did it no it I didn't. Yeah. It was it was the wrong shade of red and black together. That was the problem. They were both kind of this glossiest red and glossy black, and it, it just clashed too much. Johnny, I'm such a rube. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they uh, bumped up the the uh, entry level storage on the iPhone SE. Yep. So um, they don't make a 16 gigabyte iPhone anymore. No, it's they must have listened to the show a year ago. Yeah. This too still because I was yeah it, that's that's an okay entry point anything less than thirty two is quite honestly it was not acceptable it I, just I still wasn't. think thirty nowadays even thirty two is going to be a struggle some of the, yeah, some of the programs on the app store now for the uh, for iOS are huge mm-hmm. yep it is some I yeah some of them are just like oh this is four point seven gigabytes are you kidding me for your phone <laughs> hey, what's that take an hour to launch. Yeah. Speaking of uh, time, I've, I've been putting quite a bit of time last night. I've got bags under my eyes tonight, David, or today, David. What you been doing? I, look, I'm 47 years old, and I stayed up to almost 1 o'clock in the morning playing frickin' Zelda. <laughs> I haven't been playing it much this last week. I've been kind of busy, and um, I don't know. I just got into it last night. I was playing it this morning. I was, I was playing it right before we started recording the show, and... I fell into the trap of just kind of wandering around and looking for stuff instead of continuing the quest to learn more and, and find a city and a town and stuff like that. So I, I've been kind of wandering the countryside and dying a whole lot and stumbling across things. Oh, that's cool. Look at that. You know, uh, I think last week I hadn't even got a horse yet. Now I've got a couple. Um, I figured I found out a place where I can get new clothes <clears throat> It's just such a good game. It's the more I play it, the more I'm convinced that this to me is a top 10 
all of all time video games. Yeah. And it combines different genres in a way that is just brilliant. It just is. It's this is the pinnacle of what Nintendo is. Regardless of what we've pontificated about in the past. Oh, they should be on more mobile and blah 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 and blah blah blah. This is this is the pinnacle of what Nintendo is as a company. It's about the game. It really is. Yeah. That that's all well and good, but you know, the they they don't they didn't have to produce new hardware to produce this game. They could they have done this did. game on the iPad just as well mm. if they'd have chosen to. I think there's still a debate to be had about whether the combination of making their own hardware and then making their own vertical games just for their platform is ultimately going to be a successful long-term strategy for them over doing something else. I I really do wish that video games companies would come to mobile, uh, come with full price, full fat games, uh, and really get us away from this dreadful situation we've ended up in where games are either freemium or um, they they sell for a kind of a marginal price of eight ten dollars and then don't survive. Yeah, I'm still debating what you said about making the. They didn't have to make hardware to make this game. I don't think this game would be successful on an iPad. Well, because of the touchscreen. Yeah, there's just. And I don't mean because I'm just an old school kind of guy and I don't get it. I, I, I get it more than probably most people do when it comes to iOS and touchscreens. Um, some types of games simply work better with physical buttons. They just do. And having on-screen controls detracts from the experience of immersion. When you got to move your finger over the bad guy on the screen, it does pull away from that suspension of disbelief in some situations. Okay, and I don't. I, can... I don't think that this game would be as good. I think it would be successful, but I don't think it would be as good. Like I, I know I've read people say, "Oh, it plays great on the Wii U." In some respects, it actually looks better on the screen on the television screen. Um, but that Wii U controller that you have to use is just, it's bulky, it's its bubbly, it's not, it doesn't feel great in your hand compared to the Nintendo Switch. And to launch this game on the Switch the way they did, or I should say to launch the Switch with this game, was a brilliant move. Yeah. And... I think hardware does matter still. I really do. And I think, especially for Nintendo, it, it it's what separates them from the rest of the competition. And it's what sets them apart and on a path that could potentially be more successful long-term. Because they control their own destiny. Well, you know? I, there is that. I, I guess the problem with them going to say ios or android or anything else is that as you say the the interface the hardware it runs on could potentially distract 
distract from the experience. And more than even, that, even if they, even if they look. But having said that, for the same, by the same token, if they if they had launched uh, that game on iOS for sixty dollars bundled with a, a good MFI controller, I still think they could have made a fist of it. But obviously, the no, I don't think so. No, I don't, I I disagree. But beyond that. The problem with a company like Nintendo who put so much time and effort in crafting this this game is that if you don't have control of the hardware from their perspective and a company like Google or, or Apple updates the OS and it breaks something in your game, the people playing the game aren't blaming Apple or Google. They're blaming Nintendo. Yeah, but in some reasons that's that's why I'd like to see them do this because obviously Nintendo would not do what um EA did with BioShock on iOS which is basically as soon as the game as soon as the OS updates and breaks the game just abandon it which is what they did. Nintendo would not do that. Nintendo would commit the resources to actually update the game. Though I appreciate from Nintendo's perspective that will be a disincentive because they've got to keep a team together to keep the game working. Um, and they don't get insight into what Apple are doing and updating. Which in turn means they have less resources to create the next good game. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I think, I think the swings and roundabouts, I'm just desperate for somebody to do something about the, uh, app store ecosystem because I, I think it's, it's in a spiral. Well, it's been, it's probably already has spiraled to the bottom and it frustrates me. The level of quality that you get generally now um, and the uh, investment or lack of investment you get in some of these platforms purely because people find it so hard to – it's ridiculous. We're in a situation where you have a platform that's one of the most successful on the planet and it's never been easier to distribute software to owners of the hardware platform and yet people find it so hard to make make money on it. I don't – you know, it's 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 a ridiculous situation, and ultimately, I have to like hold Apple partly responsible for that because they run the ecosystem. It's their rules that have driven this um, software development platform down into the gutter. And Android followed suit. Yeah, well, I, I, in fact, Android probably helped drag it there because on an Android, nobody would pay for anything ever. True, um, but um, because people were used to getting stuff for a cut price. But the problem is, is that you know Apple is the one who holds, who sets the rules. That could have, they could have seen this and done something about it. They could have changed their policies to try and influence what was going in the App Store, and they did nothing for years. And so they've helped precipitate this situation. Um, coupled as, as well with the fact, let's be honest, you know, when it comes to updates to the OS, breaking software. Um, Apple's got some responsibility there. They could do stuff that makes uh, that makes more legacy software work better, and they don't. We're now in this situation with the current version of iOS, for instance, where half the software I launch, the first thing it does is is issue a pop up saying that this software might slow your iPad down. Yep. Which is crap because it doesn't. None of it does. No. Nope. And yet they're. For, for Apple's personal reasons, they're putting that warning up there and they're affecting somebody else's software experience. And they're using it as a cudgel to try and force developers to update their software. 
But you know what? Maybe a more friendly and collaborative approach might be a better way to get people to update their software. And then perhaps people wouldn't have situations where they buy an app and then six to 12 months later, the developer throws them under a bus because they haven't got resources to update it. Because the the, the, the platform itself doesn't encourage investment by consumers. No. And, the, and not only that, the platform itself discourages... You know, basically, it sets developers up for, you know, well, you've got a long overhead here. Yeah, um, it's going to be an expensive drag to keep your apps updated. Oh, and then, to you know, just to put a friss on a particular annoyance on top of that, when you do go to the effort of updating your apps, uh, we might reject it because we changed our policies or we might take three weeks to process the updates. Um, you know, there's all these things that haven't worked well in the App Store for a long time, and they've helped contribute to a situation where, as successful it is for Apple, it's not a great experience for consumers. And yet you have the Android side of that, it's the Wild West, and you could download what you think is one game, and it turns out to be a spy tool for people to spy on your phone. Yeah, but you know what? The, the app store's not the iOS app store's not a million miles away from that now. You search for any particular title, yeah. Well, Apple because, has started the to Apple address search, that. Because the search in the app store is so broken, you first thing you will get, even if you actually specified the name of the brand new title you want, the first five entries you get from the app store will be will be shovelware like a manual or a or a guide or something like that that some developers put in there to try and scan the system and, and fool you into buying something. But Apple has started to address that. To give them credit, they have recognized that problem, which they kind of <laughs> yeah. pretended they, they didn't know existed for a long time. They have addressed that publicly and they have started policing that a lot more strongly. So that's they've a, that's policing an issue. It, but they haven't. They've never fixed the search. The search is still as bad as it ever was. Yeah. And oh yeah, yeah. Big props for Apple for finally acknowledging there's a problem five years after everyone else has been screaming <laughs> that it's a problem. That's true. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I'm sorry. I can't. I, I can't you know, say you've got that to you're wrong the there. To the road. You can <laughs> say what you want, but you've got to actually deliver. Yeah. Well, I think they are trying. And uh, yeah, you know, trying. The 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 well. The, I think some of the bigger issues is as big as we like to think of Apple as this all-seeing company. I still think that it took them four years to really come to grips of the power and the depth of iOS and that store. And I don't know if they still have really understood it. On a fundamental level, you would think that they would because they invented it. But in some respects, it's been kind of a Frankenstein monster for Apple. It's been more wildly successful than they could have ever hoped for. And philosophy aside, how, how do you police it? How, where do you draw the line at at what we allow and what we don't allow? Some of it's just ridiculous, and some of it was makes total sense. And they're kind of going into this as pioneers. So I give them a little bit of a break that no one else has ever had to deal with these issues before. Nobody. It's yep. completely unique. And a stumble on their part could mean millions of dollars for developers in lost revenue. Um. But for, I think for the most part, they haven't stumbled. I think 
they're very cautious. They don't they don't want to kill the golden goose, but yet they don't want it to become the wild west like the Android store is. Yeah, my my gut feel on on the issue with this is that the industry is full of smart people who have ideas for how to solve this problem. And and I think the the difficulty Apple has always faced is that they're very good at hiring engineering-level people who are clever and come up with great ideas. What I don't think they're very good at is hiring uh, people at a higher level of management, bringing them in, people who are visionaries, and understand that you know sometimes you really need to shake things up to get them working properly. And I think the App Store is a perfect example of that. They left the, Recognizing there were problems, they left it alone for so long and even now, they're trying to make changes under a, you know, Phil Schiller, who's a guy who's been there for a very, very long time. And actually, I think the smarter move would be to bring in somebody from the outside and really shake it up. You know, you, sometimes you have to be bold. And, and I think Apple sometimes can be, uh, you know, they, they yeah, have but to, to bring someone bold. in from the outside to really shake it up. You're talking about potentially disrupting hundreds and thousands of of developers lives their livelihood their jobs i don't i don't think big company like apple i don't think apple considers that a problem oh i do i do i I think they're wrong with every os release to change policies and procedures and technologies that disrupt yeah but but that's quite different than what you just described that they need to have someone come in and do and I think oh, Apple is going they, back to what they, I said. They I'm don't sorry. want to kill that golden goose. No, I I completely disagree. I think when you've got something like uh, like App Store search that is so fundamentally broken, yeah, you need to have somebody come in and say, in the twenty first century, when you're competing with or when we have technologies that exist like Google and what have you, it is completely and utterly unacceptable, whatever the technical reason, for you to say we can't fix App Store search. Yeah, but see, you you could say that same thing about Google. Google's broken then, because I'm I'm looking for one thing, and it's if it's on the first page, great, but a lot of times, unless I'm very, very specific, it's just junk, and it's ads at the top, and and it's Search optimization companies gaming the system. Well, I think the problem with Google is a different problem. The Google is not with Google. It's not that the technology doesn't work. It's just that their priority is not their priority is not our priority. Their priority is getting ads in front of you. Their priority is not necessarily getting the best search result in front of you. But Apple's definitely should be. And what Apple is prepared to do is basically have a search that is fundamentally broken. I had this a couple of weeks ago. There was a piece of software been out for a couple of weeks. And I went to my iPad and I typed the actual name of the of the program into the search bar and it did not come up. Hmm. I yeah, that's an the issue. only way I could find that piece of software was to search for it on Google. Yeah. And then find an iTunes link on Google and then click to it so it took me directly to it in the in the iTunes store. That was the only way I could get that piece of software. Now I'm sorry, that's fundamentally broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to and argue that's that. Nothing to do with optimization or people gaming or anything. It's basically just a bad search system. And I suspect strongly suspect the reason it's like that is because the app store is built on technology from eight years ago. 
and they the, the the constant refrain from inside apple from apple engineering is we can't change it we can't change it it's built on this thing we can't migrate away uh, or we, we need to migrate away we can't do it in one it's too big there's millions of apps on there it's too big to do in one go and the problem is i think they do need pump somebody from outside to say i don't care make it happen and then to say how much is it going to cost how long is it going to take don't tell me about what the resource limitations are tell me what you need to make it happen then have a conversation about the resources but there's too many things from apple and sometimes from other companies as well in the tech space where these companies are making billions of dollars in profit and yet when they're asked to fix things that are broken they say i can't do it we had it last week with google where they where um you know the uh the ads were coming up on youtube uh that were um that were coming up next to content that is diametrically opposite to what the ad is about you know people people promoting gun control um coming up against ads against uh from ads from the nra yeah yeah and, and vice versa you know anti anti um terrorism messages from the uk government coming up next to extremist web where uh, youtube videos yeah now uh, apple uh, google were told we're going to pull our advertising by the uk government and they were told by parliament in an mp session they were told you are a technology company you are supposedly the best search company on the planet it is not an acceptable answer for you to turn around and say we cannot technically fix this problem yeah and that's absolutely true it becomes a, ca- a case of having the will and putting the resources in to do it and you can't do both at once where you make billions of dollars in profit and then not put the resources in to fix these fundamental issues i totally agree with you yeah so with that david and i are going to uh, wrap this show up and go fix some of these fundamental problems for apple and google <laughs> so we might not be here next week because it might take more than a week for us to oh, no. to get no. these things we'll, corrected. We'll put the weekend in on it and it'll be done. Well, I've got things to do, man. I got to take Brittany to the airport because she's uh, she's spending a week or a month in Arizona. So I, I, I just can't do it Sunday, man. Sorry, okay. Google. All right, Monday morning. I'll handle Google. You handle Apple. Right. Okay. So with that, we're going to see you guys in a week. And uh, make sure you guys send the email in. We'd love to get some feedback from you. The show at techfanpodcast.com. Bye, David. Bye.